Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be back at Connection Point. I have been away for just a few weeks. Did anything important happen while I was gone? <laughs> I was so glad to hear and so excited for Connection Point that John Dickerson has responded to God's call to come here and serve as the lead pastor. And I know we're all excited that he's going to be coming just in a few weeks to begin preaching here week after week. But I also want to tell you, I have been so blessed by the staff team who have been leading our teaching on the weekends. Hasn't this been a blessing to hear these wonderful guys share God's word with us week after week? <clears throat> the reason I've been gone for a while, my wife and I took a two-week trip where I was the devotional leader for a trip to the Bible lands for 54 people. We went to Rome, we went to Crete and Malta and Israel, all these places. It just reestablishes re your confidence that the Bible is telling historical truth. It's rooted in reality. We went to the Sea of Galilee. I want to show you a picture that I took of the Sea of Galilee. It's so beautiful. We ate lunch there right next to the sea. And they served something called St. Peter's fish. My wife wasn't crazy about it because they served the whole fish. And it's staring at you from the plate. And I got to show you, I have hundreds of pictures, but I got to show you one other picture just that I think is both serious and fun. I took this near the Sea of Galilee, this other picture, and there's this beautiful fountain in this garden, and it quotes on this sign, Jesus' words, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let him drink. And then you see what the sign says over here? Water not for drink. So it was both serious and funny at the same time. But if you want to hear my stories, I have lots of pictures and lots of stories to tell you. But today, we want to dig in immediately into our topic, which is generosity. You know, this fall, we've been talking about what we call rooted, the roots of Connection Point, the things that are really at the core of what this church believes and does. And since this is the weekend before Thanksgiving, what a perfect time to talk about that core value of Connection Point, which is generosity. Great churches are generous churches. I have a preacher friend who used to tell me, he said, Dave, it takes three books to build a great church. The good book, the song book, and the pocket book. We don't like to talk about the pocket book as much. And you know, the truth is, when you talk about generosity, I recognize that many people already have their defenses up. Oh, he's just going to talk about why we need to give more money. But that's not the right place to start. And what I want to invite you to do is take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 17, because where we're going to start this morning is with a story that illustrates ingratitude Recorded here in Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse 11. Here's what it says. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him and they stood at a distance. Now these 10 men all shared a common problem. They had leprosy. Maybe you've heard that leprosy is a skin disease and you picture something not that bad, you know, like a bad case of dandruff, you know, just flaky skin. Oh, no. I visited a leprosy hospital in Ethiopia where people are missing whole body parts because of leprosy, noses, ears, fingers from their hands. This is a devastating disease. And notice, these men, these 10 men who were afflicted with leprosy had to be at a distance from everyone. They stood at a distance. Geographically, they were at a distance because they lived on the border of Samaria, which is a place that most Jewish people avoided. 
And they had distanced themselves socially because as lepers, they weren't allowed to interact with the rest of society. Their disease was repulsive and contagious, so they had to stay outside the village. And they had kept their distance emotionally because they were accustomed to being rejected and isolated. These were 10 men living without hope. Verse 13 continues, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when Jesus saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. You see, according to the law of Moses, if you were cured of a disease, before you could reenter society, you had to get a clean bill of health from one of the local priests who served as sort of health inspectors. So Jesus told these men, comply with the law, go show yourself to the priests. And isn't it interesting, it says, as they went, they were restored, they were healed. As they went, Jesus tested their faith. He didn't heal them immediately, but he required something of them. And as they went, obeying and believing Jesus' words, all 10 of these men were healed. Now, can you imagine if you'd had to live the way these 10 lepers had lived, how overjoyed you would be as you begin to see your skin is whole, maybe fingers are re-emerging from your hand, Maybe your face is now assuming its proper proportions again. These men must have been overjoyed. All 10 of them, not just one, but all 10 of them were cured by Jesus at the very same time. And then look what it says in verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, one of them came back praising God in a loud voice. And folks, this one man did what we all need to do. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Nine out of the ten went their merry way. One came back, threw himself at the feet of Jesus, the one who had given them this life-changing blessing, and said, thank you, Lord. And notice that Luke adds this little note, and he was a Samaritan. It's kind of interesting because in first century Israel, the Jews couldn't stand Samaritans. Last thing you wanted to be or do was be around Samaritans, and yet... This guy who was thankful was one of them. Actually, by the way, it's interesting that the other nine guys were willing to hang out with him. He was a Samaritan, and yet they were willing to hang out with him. But see, common problems have a way of bringing people together. And if, if everybody had leprosy, the fact that this guy was a Samaritan didn't seem so important anymore. And you know what? When you recognize that we're all broken, it makes some of the petty things that divide people seem awfully small and insignificant. They were willing to hang out with him because they were all lepers. And guess what? We all have a leprosy called sin. And the more we recognize that, the more it makes us willing to just be willing to put aside petty things and say, we all need desperately the help that only Jesus can bring. But it was the one Samaritan, the one man who came back and thanked Jesus for healing him. Jesus noticed this. Look at the scripture as it goes on. Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. What a question. Where are the other nine? You hear the sadness in Jesus' voice when he asks that question? Here's another way to put it. The ingratitude rate that day was 90%. And you know, I got to thinking about that. It's kind of shocking in a way, and yet, actually, one out of 10 saying thank you, really meaning it, actually, sadly, that sounds a little bit normal. 
Ask the server in a restaurant how many people truly appreciate her excellent service. Ask the school principal how many parents say thank you for educating their kids. Ask the cleaning professionals how many people really say thanks for scrubbing our floors and throwing away our trash. Where would you and I have been in this story? Would you and I have been the ones to come back and say thank you, or would we have just been one of the nine happy to move on with our lives and take the blessing God gave us and then get on with it and just forget about it? You know, one of the most violated verses in all of the scripture is this one in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. You know what it says? Do everything without complaining or arguing. But we live in a culture where grumbling is just a natural, normal thing. Even in the church, we hardly ever call it out. People complain and grumble about all kinds of things, and we hardly ever talk about the sin of ingratitude and griping and grumbling, even though the Bible says not to be that way. In fact, Thanksgiving, you know, I think we have it all backwards. We set aside one day a year to thank the Lord, and then the rest of the year we gripe about everything. You know what? I've often said we ought to have one day a year we call Gripes Giving Day. <laughs> and just for 24 hours, just gripe, get it all out of your system, and then the other 364 days of the year just give thanks. That would be closer to what the Lord wants from us, just to be grateful. One grumbler can wear out a leader, poison a classroom, demoralize a team of athletes, ruin a workplace, and destroy a marriage. But there is a better way. I want to show you a little formula this morning for that better way. And it starts with this word. It starts with the word grace. Grace. What did Jesus show those 10 lepers that day? Not only healing power, he showed them grace. He didn't owe them anything, but he stepped in and blessed them anyway. Grace is God's undeserved favor. We cannot earn it by our own merits. Grace is getting more than we deserve. God's love and grace are great themes of the Bible. Do you realize what God has done for you, the lengths he has gone to? to save you and reestablish a relationship with you. I know an old man who got it. He died at age 100. His name was John Wilson. He was a minister in Springfield, Ohio, and a friend of mine, and when I went to visit him when he was 100 years old, we had a good friendship. I could be direct with him. He was 100. I sat down and I said, John, do you ever think about dying? <laughs> he said, oh yeah, all the time. <laughs> he said, Every night, about three in the morning, I wake up and I lie there in my bed and I think about heaven. And I remember John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he said, I put my own name in there, Dave. I quote it and I say, for God so loved John Wilson that he gave his only begotten son. And he said, so when I think about dying, I think about heaven. I'm going to go to be with Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. And he said, and I'd like to see Paul. I was always fond of the Apostle Paul's writings. <laughs> There's somebody who gets grace, an old man who gets grace. You know, sometimes little kids get grace. A friend of mine was walking through an almost empty church building, and he noticed a young girl standing on the stage, and somehow she had gotten a hold of a hot microphone. The microphone was on. She was standing there by herself in the church building, and she was singing. And here's what she was singing. Jesus loves me, this I know. Forty Bibles tell me so. <laughs> I think it's for the Bible tells me so, but hey, if 40 Bibles say it, it must really be so. 
and 40 Bibles or 4 million Bibles, they all say the same thing. Jesus loves you. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Somebody said you can spell grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. The Bible says God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is what this church is all about, the grace of God. Recently, my wife Candy went to a certain business, and when she came back, she was kind of chuckling. She said, look at this, and she showed me their business card. And I looked at it, and you can't read it. It's so, the font is so tiny and so small, and the ink is so light. It's very hard, even with my glasses. I can hardly see it. You know what this business card is from, the business was she visited? Lens crafters. <laughs> I, I had to laugh. I know if any of you work at lens crafters, no offense intended, but you need to think about your business card. <laughs> because I saw, they've forgotten what business they're in. They're in the business of helping people see, and their business card is impossible to read. But you know what? I think sometimes in the church we forget what business we're in. Folks, we're in the grace dispensing business. That's what God calls us to be about. You know, this Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, a lot of people, even people who don't normally pray, before they eat that big meal on Thursday, you know what they're gonna do? They're gonna pause and they're gonna do something we call saying grace. Isn't that a beautiful word for a Thanksgiving prayer? Say grace. That's what Christians should always be doing. Whenever we open our mouths, grace should come out. Whenever we open our homes, grace should come out. Whenever we open our checkbooks, grace should come out. God has treated us better than we possibly could ever deserve. Our ship was sinking, and Jesus became our lifeboat. Our plane was going down, and Jesus became our parachute. Our hearts were failing, and Jesus gave us his own heart as a transplant. Christianity is not a guilt trip, it is about grace. If you find yourself on a guilt trip, Jesus isn't driving. When your past is forgiven and your present has a purpose and your future is heaven, you can't help but be grateful. And that's the next part of this little formula. You see, grace plus gratitude. Grace leads to gratitude. They come from the same root word. Grace, G-R-A, and gratitude, G-R-A, they come from the same root. If you receive God's grace, it fills you with gratitude. That's why the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you, have you thanked God recently for your optic nerve? You know, without it, you wouldn't be able to see. Have you thanked him for your aorta? Say, wow, I didn't even remember I had one of those, Dave. Yep, you have an aorta. And if it's not working right, you would be very concerned about that. But when every day the blood is just flowing through your veins, you don't think about it. Thank God for it. Did you thank God yet today for fresh air and for the lungs to breathe it in? We're thankful for food, but did you ever stop and think about it? God didn't have to make it taste good. Those taste buds he gave you the ability to enjoy the pumpkin pie and the turkey and the homemade bread, wow, thank you, God. When's the last time you thanked God for electricity and clean, abundant water? A presumptuous person says, I deserve this, I earned all this. A grateful person says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So this is how the formula works. It starts with grace, that leads to gratitude, 
And when you add grace and gratitude together, that results in generosity. Generosity is a natural result. It's an overflow of God's grace in your life. Generosity flows out of a grateful heart. That's why John wrote in the Bible, we love because he first loved us. It starts with the love of God, and then when we know that he's loved us so much, that just pours out of us. That's why we call it thanksgiving. Gratitude naturally leads to giving, to generosity. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, God loves a cheerful giver because God is a cheerful giver, and he wants us to be like him. He wants us to just serve him with open hands. I went to Ethiopia, and I would wave at people. People were very friendly there, but I didn't speak the language, so it was hard to communicate. But when I'd see people, I could smile, and I could wave. I'd go, hey, you know. And after a while, I noticed they're not waving back at me like this. They're waving back at me like this. And I said to my missionary host, why do they wave with both hands? He said, well, historically, that probably goes back to when you were showing people you didn't have any weapons, that you were safe that you were greeting them open-handed, you were safe. And, but he said that just kind of evolved into a double-handed wave. I said, man, I feel doubly welcome, doubly warmly received, you know, by people waving both hands. And I got to thinking about that. I thought, that's the way we should respond to God. With not hands closed and holding everything tight, but just open hands. In fact, in the Old Testament, Hebrew days, that was the way that they prayed. They would often lift up their hands to God, open-handed. There's an old song that says, nothing in my hand I bring, only to your cross I cling. That's the way a Christian lives. That's why the apostle Paul wrote about some first century Christians who had had a rough time in their lives, and he wrote in 2 Corinthians, out of the most severe trial, even when times were tough, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. They gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. That's what the wise men did. Remember when they came to visit Jesus? They came to worship him, grateful to him for the birth of the king of the Jews. And so they brought him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and they bowed before him in worship. Gratitude leads to generosity. Remember the short man Zacchaeus who was up in a sycamore tree and Jesus called him down and went to his house and had dinner with him and his sinful friends and transformed this man's life. And by the time that time together with Jesus was over, Zacchaeus was saying, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. I'm going to pay back four times what I have stolen from people. Gratitude led to generosity. That's the way it's supposed to work. We need to learn this and express this as a discipline in our lives. When I was a little kid, my dad one day walked over solemnly to the door frame near the kitchen with a hammer and three tacks in his hand. You know what this was about? In those days, often in churches, they would give you at the end of the year these little cardboard offering boxes, and they had offering envelopes inside. Some of you might remember this. They would have 52 numbered and dated envelopes, one for every Sunday of the year. And so my dad had gone to church. He got three of these, one for me and one for my two brothers, and he took these, the hammer and these tacks and he went over to the door frame right outside the kitchen and he tacked those three tacks on and these little cardboard boxes, he took them and hooked them on those little tacks. And then every week, you know, as I remember it, my allowance was 15 cents a week. Kids, be thankful for inflation. <laughs> three nickels, one nickel to spend, one nickel to save, and one nickel to give. 
And so every week, he'd pull out that little envelope. My brothers and I would go over and pull out those little envelopes and put our nickel in there. And at church on Sunday, we'd put it in there. I'm so thankful that my dad was concerned about that. You know, many years went by, decades went by. I'm a grown man. My dad's getting old. It was sad, but it was time. They had to take down that old farmhouse where I grew up. And dad called me and said, Dave, you want to come and help me salvage some things before they t demolish this? They're going to build a new house on that same site. And I said, sure, dad. So I went, had a kind of a melancholy, kind of a sweet, re remembering all kinds of things day with my dad as we took tools and we took, apart, took down a mirror that was there, went over to the mantle in the living room where we used to put our stockings, you know, when I was a kid at Christmas time and slid down the banister one last time for good measure. Walked in the kitchen and remembered all the great meals my mom there made there. And then while I was near the kitchen, I walked over and I said, hey, Dad, look at this. Three tacks still there in the doorframe. Layers of paint on them, but they were still there. I said, Dad, remember what these were for? He said, oh, yeah. I said, I want to keep those. So I took my claw hammer and I pulled out those three tacks and stuck them in my jeans pocket so that I could keep them. I'm thankful that somebody taught me, didn't just put tack three little tacks and cardboard boxes onto a wall, but tack something onto my heart when I was a kid that said God is important and being grateful for his blessings. It's not a lifetime lesson. That's the way it works. Grace plus gratitude equals generosity. But the formula is not quite finished. There's one more piece to the formula you've got to see. Grace plus gratitude equals generosity, but then that needs to be multiplied by God. You multiply our human generosity times the power of God. Now you're really talking about something. It's not just what you can conjure up by being good-hearted and generous and pulling out your wallet or writing a check. It's not that. God is involved in this process. God takes what we give and multiplies it. That's why King David prayed to the Lord in astonishment in 1 Chronicles, and he said, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? He said, God, everything comes from you, and we've given you only what comes from your hand. You see, when you add God to the equation, generosity gets multiplied. A little boy gives his lunch to Jesus, and then Jesus multiplies it and can feed a lot of people. The tithes and offerings you and I give are multiplied by the Lord. You see, the thing is about God, his way of doing math is different. Now, I know God's the one who created and designed math. Two plus two equals four. You know, we get that. But God's math is different because in Jesus' hands, a little boy brings Jesus five loaves and two fish. These are little things, little, like little dinner rolls. Five little rolls and two fish. And you say, well, five rolls of bread plus two fish, that equals one little boy's lunch, right? No, in God's math, five loaves plus two fish equals over 5,000 people well-fed with 12 baskets full of leftovers. That's God's math. His math is different. Now, let me tell you how this applies here at Connection Point. Right now, there are over 650 people at, um, or 650 children sponsored by Connection Point families at around $40 a month, not counting children sponsored through other organizations. This is just through Connection Point partnerships. We have over 650 children being sponsored. Now, some could easily say, you know what? You guys need to quit promoting all that because if you promote all those child sponsorships, it will hurt the general fund giving of this church. But that's not how God, God's math works. 
In God's math, generosity produces more generosity. All the people who are blessed by getting to sponsor a child, that doesn't mean they're going to put less in the general fund. We want to be part of a church that is generous. We want to be part of something big that God is doing. Listen, God's math is different and God's measurement is different. His definition of big isn't the same as ours. Jesus saw a poor widow putting her offering into the temple treasury. Now, that in itself is interesting to think that Jesus watches when people give their offerings. Oh, that's, that's interesting. He's, he's watching. And Jesus saw this poor widow put in two tiny little copper coins, probably didn't even make a clang when she dropped the coins in there. Easy to overlook that, right? But Jesus said, you know what? She put in more than all the rich people who have given out of their abundance. They're just given a little tiny percentage of what they have. But this woman, Jesus said, gave all that she had. Jesus saw that that poor widow had emptied her savings account. And so for her, that was big. And the gift that she gave has been big. And here we are 2,000 years later still talking about that woman's two little coins that she gave. It was indeed a big gift. Last year, I preached in a town called Markle, Indiana. Some of you may have been there, may know about it. It's a small town, northeastern Indiana. has about 1,100 people in the town. I preached at a church that has 500 people who go. Isn't that cool? Nearly half of the population of the town attends their church. And I was there because they had asked me to speak last fall for a missions rally to talk about giving to support global missions. Everything that we give, they said, is going to be beyond, over and above our regular giving for the church's operational needs. And that year, this year, they promised and they're giving $255,000 as a church to support the global work of God. That's a huge God-sized achievement for a church of that size. I said, I asked the question when I was there, I said, how long have you guys been doing this? They said, oh, we started it in 1960. We had a preacher who encouraged us to try it and we've been doing it ever since. I said, did anybody ever go back and add up how much has been given by this church all those years? They said, no. I said, I challenge you to do it. A couple days later, I got an email from them and they said, Dave, we went back and added it up. Since 1960, this church has given over $5 million to the Lord's global mission work, and that's over and above our regular operational needs. I was amazed at that. Now, you know, I can picture some young preacher in 1960 getting up in front of that congregation and saying, you know what, folks? By faith, if we trust God and we're generous and consistent, I believe that I can imagine a time when this little church in this little town of Markle could give away over $5 million to the Lord's work people would have thought, you're just a young whippersnapper, what do you know? You're you're a wild-eyed dreamer. But no, folks, we tend to underestimate what God can do and what God's people can achieve through persistent generosity multiplied over many years. And the same thing is true if you tithe consistently, saying the first 10% of what I earn, it's God's, I'm going to give it right back to him. You'd be amazed at the total amount that God will enable you to give over many years. God's measurement is different. God's methods are different. His way of doing things It's through the collective generosity of free will gifts that his work goes on throughout the world. And when God's people work and give together, we can support missions and community needs at a level that most of us could never imagine. Jesus said, you talk about something countercultural. This is a well-known statement of Jesus, but think about what he says. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Oh, really? Think about that. 
That's very countercultural. If somebody, after, you go out today, right after this service, you walk out and somebody hands you a $100 bill, who's the blessed one? You say, hey, thank you. A hundred bucks, wow, thank you. But according to Jesus, the person who gave it to you is more blessed than you are. Why is that? Why is it more blessed to give than to receive? Well, for one thing, giving helps us reset our priorities. It unclutters our lives. It untangles us from things that have no eternal value and allows us to be stewards of what God has blessed us with so that we can invest in things that do have eternal value. So it is more blessed to give than to receive. And listen, this is another thing the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, 7. The Bible says, just as you excel in everything, look at this, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, just as you excel in all those things, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Isn't that a spiritually challenging thought? That we should strive to excel in giving. You know, you want to be excellent as an athlete or as a musician. You want to be excellent as a speaker. Whatever it is that you do, you want to be excellent in your job, of course. But when's the last time you thought, Lord, help me to excel as a giver? Not just to stay at a certain place, not just to be content with what I'm doing, but to excel in it. Generosity, you see, folks, it is not just about raising money for the church. It is about spiritual growth. God does not need our money, but we need the experience of giving. So before we finish, I wanna give you three practical generosity challenges. And I wanna offer these in sincerity and humility to challenge all of us to think about how do I grow, how do I become more excellent in this grace of giving. Here's number one, do something little. Do something little that expresses generosity. You know, sometimes giving money is the easy way. It's harder to invest time to actually get involved, to do something, even something small for somebody else. You know, generosity and kind deeds, that's a language that everybody understands and everybody needs. Do you ever, I was at Kroger the other day and I was having trouble, you know, um, those little plastic, thin plastic bags that they make you put your vegetables and fruit in? You know those little bags? You have to tear them off a big roll and I can never get those things open for the life of me. I, was, I wanted to get some broccoli. I had my broccoli. That was no problem. But getting that little plastic bag open, I was pulling at it, tugging at it. I could not get it open for anything. After about five minutes, I was so frustrated, I was ready to give up and leave my broccoli and go home. And there was this dear woman, a stranger, somebody who didn't know me, and she's standing nearby, and she watched this whole thing, and she walked over, took the plastic bag, went, <laughs> opened it up just like that. I put my broccoli in there. I was so grateful to her for that simple little thing that she did. Folks, what simple deed could you do that would demonstrate generosity and practical help? Could you rake somebody's leaves this week? Could you write a thank you note to somebody who has encouraged you? Could you tell a coworker or a client that you appreciate them? Be real and sincere and just do it. Maybe the little thing you need to do to become more generous is to start making do with a little less so that you can give a little more to decide to live more frugally so that you can give more generously, to even scale back your Christmas giving just a notch so that you can give a little more to somebody who needs it. Maybe your little thing is to take a financial planning class and learn how to get out of debt. A member of Connection Point, Jeff Hoovner and his wife Julie, are wonderful people who have a heart for the Lord, a gracious spirit, and great knowledge to share. Jeff is around here every week. He would be glad to talk with you. He leads Financial Peace University classes, budget workshops, 
Jeff and Julie love to help people get their personal finances in order, which opens the door to greater generosity. They'll be glad to talk with you. On Wednesday evening, November 29th, Connection Point is offering a free holiday budget workshop. Prior to the holidays, this would be a great thing. It'll help you not break the bank over the holidays. To be a good steward, you can sign up for that online. And then in January, Connection Point is offering a six-week class called Smart Kids, Smart Money, Smart Kids. It's for parents who want to teach our kids about how to handle money wisely. Folks, if you want to grow in generosity and excel in this, it often starts with doing something little. And then, second, give something little. Give something little. Jesus said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. So start by taking small steps. You know one thing you could do? Stop by the display out there in the lobby and ask how you can be part of the holiday project. They have all these little cards. This one is for a gift for a girl, age eight, a purchase of $15 gift. Many of us could do that, a little thing. I learned last night that here at Connection Point, the kids of Connection Point have given 400 pairs of pajamas through, as part of the holiday project. The kids have done that, isn't that great? You say, wow, it's just a little thing, pajamas. Oh yeah, it's not a little thing if you're a child, 400 kids in this community who are going to go to bed in the winter feeling warm and safe and loved because somebody gave them some new pajamas? Give something little, bake somebody a pie, take somebody to lunch, find something in your home or your office that means a lot to you and give it to somebody. Just give it to your kids or give it to a friend and let them enjoy this thing that you've had and just sitting around. If you currently give $10 a week in the offering, try giving 11 or 12. If you currently tithe and give back to the Lord 10% of your income, take a small step, add another percent and give something small. But let me challenge you, do something little, give something little, and then I'm gonna just put this out there. I wanna also challenge you, pray about giving something big. Be willing to pray that. Now, you know what? I've already said, God defines what big is, not us. And what's big for you might not be big for somebody else. You know, maybe in your whole life, you've never given a hundred bucks to somebody in need. Could you do that? Could you pray, at least pray about it? Maybe you could pray, Lord, next year, I want to save up so that by the end of 2018, I can give $1,000 to a missionary. And Lord, as the year goes by, let me save up and you show me who I need to give that to. Wouldn't that be a big thing? And you know, within the sound of my voice this weekend as I teach on generosity, there might be somebody sitting here in this congregation who has the financial capacity to write one check and pay off the church's mortgage. I don't know what's big for you or what's small for you. It doesn't matter. It's just what does God lay upon your heart? Let's dare to pray that God could touch our hearts and do something big. There's a man named Sam Houston for whom the city of Houston, Texas is named. He became a Christian late in his life. He was baptized in a river on this very weekend, November 19, 1854, and the minister who baptized him in the river said, now Sam, your sins are all washed away. And Sam Houston replied, God help all the fish. <laughs> and when he came up out of the water, Sam Houston noticed that he had forgotten to remove his wallet before he was immersed. And he said, preacher, you have baptized my pocketbook. And I want to tell you, folks, when God has baptized you and that includes your pocketbook, he will reshape your definition of what you can give and what you can do for his glory. 
Let me give you one more example of something big we could do. We're part of here at Connection Point. <laughs> this year, Connection Point members gave over $135,000 of in-kind donations for the Holiday Project and the Teacher Project at Clarence Farrington School. That is big! It's fun and exciting. I was here in August when the Clarence Farrington teachers were receiving the things that had been provided for them. You realize how awesome that is to be part of that? This is something big and it's wonderful and it's fun. <laughs> Chad and Hannah Johnson, beloved members of the Connection Point family are leaving soon. Chad's been on the staff here for a number of years. As you know, they're leaving soon to begin a new ministry in Cleveland, Ohio. There is a reception in Chad and Hannah's honor right after this service in room B102. You're invited to greet them, learn more about their plans if you'd like to stop by. I know they would love to see you. You know, I got to thinking, wouldn't it be big if by the end of the time when they leave here and move to Cleveland, they had raised all the support they need to provide for them? I think they're close. What if this weekend we just did something big and just said, hey, how much do you need? We'll help you cover the rest of that. Well, here's something big. What if somebody said, Lord, would you, do you want me to move to Cleveland? I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about <laughs> <laughs> is, is there somebody in the church here who would say, you know what, this is big. I'm willing to pray, Lord, if you want me to move to Cleveland and help Chad and Hannah with that church planning effort, I'm willing to go. We need to think big because we serve a big God who's willing to stir in us and provide for us and do things that we can't do in our own strength. This is the formula. Grace plus gratitude equals generosity, and then that generosity is multiplied by God. Before we're done, I want to show you a little video clip. It's a silent movie. Somebody gave me a DVD, and they said, Dave, you're going to want to watch this. And I said, why? He said, just, just watch it. It's kind of long, and it's kind of boring, no sound. And it's, it's an old country church in Ohio in 1955, and people are all dressed up, and they're walking out from the church building. But I want to show you this. And you see some classic, some very cool classic cars in the parking lot of this old church and some rather embarrassed looking people walking out who just went to church. They don't want to be on a film. Somebody made this with an old uh, movie camera. And then pretty soon you see walking through a very pretty young woman carrying a one-year-old baby. And it's right about here. And this woman walks out, this pretty woman wearing her dress and her hat and carrying a little baby. And then she sees the camera and walks away because she doesn't want to be on camera, and she walks away and just stands there holding that little child. You know who that is? Why the guy wanted me to see that? That's my mom. And that little baby that she's holding is me. You know, my parents didn't even hardly take any photographs of me when I was a kid. This is the only video I've ever seen of me as a little kid and my mom as a young woman. My mom didn't have an easy life. She was not raised in the church. She became a Christian as a young adult. She never wanted to be a farmer's wife, but she married a farmer. And her whole life, she lived and raised her boys on the farm. But when I saw this, I sat and I cried like a baby because you realize how thankful I am for my mother and what she and my dad gave me and invested in me in my life. <laughs> Can I show you what my mom looks like now? Here's a picture of her on a recent birthday, and uh, she's gonna be 90 in February. And Candy and I gave her this little gift wrapped in green wrapping paper. Doesn't she look delighted with that? Doesn't she look happy with what we gave her? You know what we gave her, what was inside that when she took the green wrapping paper off? Cheerios. <laughs> big box, big box of Cheerios. She loves Cheerios, eats them every day. 
soup and crackers and sugar cookies and simple things like that, but my mom was delighted because she has learned to just be grateful for simple things. She experienced the grace of God and it made her grateful and she's generous. Her church, she still goes to that same church. Her church a couple years ago was in a building campaign and my mom made my brother, she lives on a fixed income, she made my brother take her to the bank and she took out what would be for her a very sacrificial gift because she wanted to be part of giving back to keep this church strong for the next generations as it had been for her. Grace leads to gratitude and that overflows in generosity that is multiplied by God. Now in just a moment, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper together. You talk about something that ought to make us grateful On the night before he died, Jesus took bread and he took a cup and he gave thanks. The Greek word there is eucharistia. It's where we get the word eucharist. It it literally means good grace. He gave thanks. He said, God, your grace is great. And there, knowing he was about to die on the cross for our sins, he gave us emblems that will remind us perpetually until he comes again of his death, burial, and resurrection, how thankful we can be. And then folks, we're going to, after the servers present us with the bread and the cup, we'll hold them so that we can all take the bread and the cup together. And then you realize what we get to do after that? We get to give our offerings as an act of worship and love and generosity back to the God who's done all these things for us. And I love it that the service is in that order because after you receive the bread and the cup that remind you of Jesus' body and blood, why don't you just picture yourself putting your offering right directly into Jesus' nail-scarred hands and saying, thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Father, how grateful we are for your grace. We don't deserve the blessings you've given us. And we know, Lord, we're in a broken world and there are so many problems and so many things wrong. But help us not to grumble, not to be pessimistic, but to be filled with hope, comfort, and encouragement and peace. And the overflowing joy that comes from knowing that our eternity is secure in you, that our lives are filled with purpose now, that because of your grace, our sins are forgiven and you have given us gifts to use for your glory. Lord, we do love because you first loved us. And here, as we come together for the Lord's Supper, we remember through the body and the blood of Jesus the sacrifice that was made at the cross. Father, help us to remember. Make our hearts grateful. Stir in us continual, overflowing generosity as we respond to your love and grace. Through Jesus Christ we pray.